If everyone could, please find your seats. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. If you could, turn in your Bibles or in your bulletin to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we will be looking at verses 1 through 21. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And as you're turning, let me ask you this question. Who do you believe that the Holy Spirit is? We've been singing about the Holy Spirit all morning, but do we really know who he is and what he does? You see, in this day and age, we tend to lean into two extremes. We tend to make everything about the Holy Spirit, or we don't talk about him enough. You see, brothers and sisters, this should not be the case among us, especially us Reformed Christians. We can't let the Pentecostals have all the fun. <laughs> you see, John Calvin was rightly called the theologian of the Holy Spirit by scholar B.B. Warfield, and the Reformed Church should be as well. You see, the Holy Spirit is the Lord and giver of life and the pioneer of our sanctification. Our Christian life is encompassed by him, and the passage that we're going to be looking on today emphasizes that. As we look into the New Testament church, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in your Bibles, you see the title of the book that we're looking at is the book of Acts. The typical designation that we give it is the Acts of the Apostles. But I and other theologians prefer this title, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we believe this? Because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers the Acts of the Apostles. And he not only empowers them, but he empowers us as well, beloved. And so as we look into the word of God, I want you to see how the Holy Spirit of God displays his transforming power, not only in the lives of the apostles, but in the lives of us as well. Let us look into the word of God. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. 
For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go before our God in prayer. Father, we know that it is true that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But we ask you by your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to truly see how you fulfill that promise. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let them not see me, but let them see you. As we open into your word, let us know the transforming power of God the Holy Ghost. We ask this in Jesus' name, who lives and reigns with you in the Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Now today I want to point out three things for you. I want to point out that the Holy Spirit is the transformer of our hearts. Number two, he's the proclaimer of the gospel. And number three, he's the builder of the church. Let's look at point one, that the Spirit is the transformer of our hearts. Pay attention to verses one through four of our text. You see, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now look at the words used here to describe the Spirit. He's described as a rushing wind of breath and of fire. What do these terms mean? These terms represent the very power of God and the passion that those who have been transformed by God have towards him. You see, this is just like the vision of Ezekiel and the dry bones. Now, we all know that story. God calls the prophet Ezekiel to go go down into this valley of dry bones. And there he commands the prophet to prophesy. And when he does, a mighty wind comes down and gives life to these dead bones. And listen to what God says to Ezekiel afterwards. In Ezekiel 37, verses 12 through 14, the word of God says this, Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And this is important. Verse 14, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. 
You see, God says that the same spirit that he uses to restore dead bones is the same spirit that God will use to restore Israel's dead hearts. We see that this is just like what he said earlier in the previous chapter in Ezekiel 36. We just read that this morning for our call to worship. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, here God has promised to take out our hearts of stone and to give us true hearts of flesh so that we will love and obey him. This is the spirit that has fallen on Pentecost. He is the spirit that truly and powerfully transforms our hearts. And so... How did that heart change, that, that, that regeneration, look like for the apostles? Well, apparently, it's these tongues of fire. You see, the Holy Spirit rested upon them physically and filled them with power. This encompassing affection for Christ that begins to fill their souls, and when it touches us, it fills ours as well. You see, it's the power that causes one to love God and love his word. It causes your heart to truly see and to truly love who Jesus is. You see, it's just like what happened to two of Jesus' disciples on the road to Emmaus. If you remember in Luke chapter 24, after the crucifixion, these two disciples are walking depressed until they encounter the risen Jesus. And he expounds the scriptures concerning himself to them, and then when he disappears we hear these words from the disciples. They say, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? But not only this, take also the example of the church father, St. Augustine. You see, before he was converted, this man was a man of incredible lust. You see, he sinned and he loved doing it. And he admits this himself in his confessions. However, as he grew older, his Christian upbringing began to cause a war within his soul, and he enters into a deep depression. And so while he's contemplating upon his situation in a garden, he tells us of this situation in his book, The Confessions. Listen to what he says. Suddenly, I heard the voice of a boy or a girl chanting over and over again, take up and read, take up and read. And so I quickly returned to the bench and snatched up the apostle's book and in silence read the paragraph on which my eyes fell. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Romans 13, 13. And so I wanted to read no further, nor did I need to. For instantly, as the sentence ended, there was infused in my heart something like the light of full certainty, and the gloom of doubt vanished away, end quote. So, so look at these two situations. Here, by the Spirit of God, there was a powerful conversion 
There's a burning within. There is a brightness of light in the heart. You see, this is the experience of someone who has been touched by the Holy Spirit and has been converted by his transforming power. And so what about you, Christian? Have you experienced the transforming power of the Holy Spirit? Do you remember a day in which your heart began to burn for the things of God? Do you remember that day when God took out your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh? You see, that was, and if you continue to experience that today, still is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He is the one who breathed life into your dead soul. He's the one who shines a light upon the word of God so that we can understand it. He's the one that fills us with love for God. Oh, beloved, I pray that you continually have that experience of the Holy Ghost in your life. Pray that your fire for God never wanes, but just as the apostle preached, that you might be filled with the Holy Ghost. That leads us to our second point, that the Holy Spirit is the proclaimer of the gospel to us. Now, we see that the Spirit is the one who transforms us, but he's also the one who proclaims the gospel in us and to us. Look back at Acts chapter 2, and we'll read the beginning of verse 4. Beginning at verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then now scroll down to verse 11. At the end of it, it says that we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. You see, when the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, the first thing that comes out of their mouths is a declaration of the mighty works of God. And so what does the indwelling of the Holy Spirit look like in verses 14 through 21? Does it appear like what we usually see today when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, that they end up manicky, screaming, and jumping around? No, not at all. Contrary to what we see, it's actually a verse-by-verse, Bible-based, exegetical proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is exactly what Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would do in Acts chapter 1. Let's go back to that passage and read what Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says here, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said that the apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, will be his witnesses. So the word witness here is is very important. In the Greek, it's the word marturios, which means witness or testimony. But it's also the word where we get the term martyr from. You see, throughout the lives of the apostles, we see that the Holy Spirit empowers them to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do it in every situation, even in dangerous ones. Consider the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They are, they are actually being brought before the Sanhedrin and charged not to speak in Jesus' name again. And Peter boldly declares that they must obey God rather than men and not deny what they have seen and heard. 
Therefore, we hear these words in Acts chapter 5. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You see, here we see that the apostles not only stood before the Jewish leaders proclaiming Christ, but also went to, to their deaths actually proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only to them, but also their enemies. How do we know that? Well, let's look at some of the historical testimonies of the deaths of the apostles. I'll list a few here. The apostle Paul, he was beheaded in Rome in 64 AD under the reign of Nero. The apostle Peter, in 64 AD, he was crucified upside down because he chose not to die in the exact same way as his master. And here we have old doubting Thomas. He was impaled with a spear while evangelizing in the country of India. And then we have St. Andrew. He was crucified in an X shape. Just for a little fun fact, has anybody ever noticed why we have a red X on our Alabama flag? Because that's St. Andrew's cross. It's a reference in order to honor him and his sacrifice. And then finally we see the Apostle John. He didn't die from this, but he was boiled in oil and then exiled on the island of Patmos. And there he received the book of Revelation and also died of old age. You see, in every situation, in all of these situations, the words on the apostles' lips were the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether to comfort them or to preach it to others, whether in chains or as they entered the grave. In the good times as well as the bad, the gospel to them was central. And it was the spirit of the living God who empowered them to preach boldly in every single one of their situations. And so now we in our time might not face martyrdom for the sake of the gospel. It might be coming, but we don't have it now. But one thing is true. We're all going to face trouble. If you haven't faced it, Lord knows you will. And if you haven't, trust me, it will come. Just look around us. It's 2022. Two of the most powerful countries in the world are at war. The United States is divided by every demographic that you can think of. A virus continues to ravage our world. And even worse, gas is over $4 a gallon. If you don't think that's trouble, just ask my wallet. So, so when you face the trouble in your life, what do you find yourself clinging to? What comforts your soul when you're crying your eyes out in the middle of the night? Do you remind yourself of the reality of the gospel? Do you lean on the spirit to console you that with the reality that since Christ has taken care of our biggest need, our biggest problem, everything else that, that the world throws at you is insignificant compared to him? That, that you can lean on him whenever trouble begins to knock at your door? Why? Because he's the one who takes the comfort purchased by Christ and gives it to you. 
Jesus said in John chapter 14 and 16 that the Holy Spirit takes what is his and bestows it upon you. And so he's the one who gives us comfort in our sorrow through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one who reminds us of our hope in life and in death. What is our only hope in life and in death? That we belong both body and soul in life and in death to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That not a hair on our head can fall without God's command. And that God has ordained everything for my good and for his glory. It's the Holy Spirit who reminds us of this. So pray that the Holy Spirit will come to you. And by God's promise, he will come. And he will preach comfort to your very soul. And so that leads us to our last point that the Spirit is the builder of God's universal church. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and look at verses 5 through 11. The word of God says, Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, now there were dwell, dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. We see here that men from every nation have gathered together to celebrate this Jewish holiday, Pentecost. Each of these people heard the gospel being preached in their own language. Now, why is this amazing? Because it really doesn't sound all that crazy to us. Because the gospel shows, this event shows that the gospel is not just for specific converts to Judaism. The gospel is for men of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. This is amazing because it shows the reversal of the curse from the Tower of Babel. Now, we know that story from Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 11, God confused the language of men in order to divide them because it was sin that united them. Now, under the gospel, the nations are united by one banner, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the people of God is not just a single nation anymore, but now it's believers that span across the entire world. And so why does this matter? It matters because some religions enforce their adherence to conform to the behavior and culture of a specific ethnic group. If you guys want an example, consider Islam. As some of you guys know, I dabble in apologetics, and most of my work in apologetics is toward the, the religion of Islam. And so the religion of Muhammad requires its adherents to read and recite Arabic. Since the Quran was written in the language of the Arabs, it can only be properly read and understood in that language. Not even that, one must make their statement of conversion, the Shahada, in Arabic. One must wear Middle Eastern clothes, or at least incorporate them into your dress. And I can go on and on. Everything must conform to a Middle Eastern Arabic culture. 
But with the multi-ethnic power of the gospel, I don't have to do that. I could go to Asia. I could go to Mexico. I could go to Russia, Europe, and even right here in America. And in every place, on a Lord's Day like this one, you can hear them sing hymns to Jesus, calling him God. And you can recite the Apostles' Creed in your own language. Why? Because our unity is not found in our dress. It's not found in our culture, nor how much melanin you have in your skin or how little you have in yours. But it's based upon the reality that Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and now has given us his spirit to unite us under that one message. And so what do you think about this, beloved? Do you have a hope for the conversion of the nations? Is your hope for the church the same hope as the Spirit of God, that the knowledge of God should cover the earth just as the waters cover the sea? I want you to let that be your hope, brothers and sisters, because the Holy Spirit is at work in you and in the world. Pray that he will spark in you a love for the nations and a love for those who do not know God. Pray that he works within us that we might be the hands and feet of Christ telling the, word, telling the world the gospel. Not just outside of our areas when we support our evangelists and, and, and our missionaries, but also right here. Let us tell those who are closest to us in our workplaces, in our families, that they are sinners. That they, because of their sin, have violated God's law. That they basically have committed cosmic treason. And because God is just, he must judge them. He must give them an eternity in hell. But because God is merciful and gracious, he does not let that be the reality for his people. Because of his love, he sent down his son, the second person of the Trinity, to be just like us. To take on a true human nature, truly God and truly man to fulfill the covenant of works, to live a perfect life which we could never live. And not only that, but through his passive obedience, he took our sins and nailed them to a rugged cross. He died for our sins, taking on the wrath of God for our sakes. But he did not stay dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead with all power in his hand. And now he has ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence, he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And now he has given his spirit to those who will believe in him so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so what do you tell them after this reality? If this is true, what must you do? You, one, you must repent. What does repent mean? It simply means to change your mind, to change your love of sin into love for Christ. And now after that, you trust in him, you believe in him, you have faith in him. That means you say that what Christ has done on the cross, he did it for me. And because of what he did for me, my sin is traded for his righteousness. My, my sorrow is traded for his joy. My condemnation is traded for his affirmation. That the promise of what God has said is true. That everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray together. 
Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the promise that everyone who calls upon you shall be saved. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, taking our hearts of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. We thank you for proclaiming the gospel to us even in our sorrow. And we thank you for giving us a hope for the conversion of the nations. Father, let that continually be our hope that your reign and Christ's reign and the Spirit's reign will take hold and that every nation shall fall under your glorious feet. Let us work for that, for that purpose. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.